Morning, everyone. Do you mind standing with me for a word of prayer? It's an emotional message for me today. Um, I'd like to say it's bright and cheery, but we're going to start off by climbing all the way down the well to the very bottom. My prayer is that by the end, we've come back out, okay? But I think there are times that we have to understand truly what's going on in our world today. So, let's pray. Jesus, we're coming to you now. We're asking that you would take away the distractions of our day. That you would give us ears to hear the things that you have for us. You would give us the courage, the strength to be your people in this day. We can't do it on our own. We need you. And so we ask for your help. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, my name's Dan. I'm one of the elders of the church here. And uh, the question that, that I have, and I think you might have at some point in time in your life, is why, God, why? Ever been there? Why? Why? My topic today is slavery. That's a nice one, isn't it? But when I think about the world in which we're living and we think about the why, God, why, We want our world to be nice and pleasant. We want God to be fair and just, right? And yet the truth is, it's not that way. And there are times when we go down to the bottom of the well, we have to say, why God would you allow any form of servitude? Why, God, would you ever allow slavery? Why, God, would you ever allow rape, war, abortion, murder, floods, natural disasters? We could go on and on. Why would you ever allow cancer? Why, God, why? I think it's important for us to understand God's purpose in creating this world. He didn't design our planet to be an immutable place of perfection, but he designed it to accommodate our own free will and our own choices. How many of us would like God to have reconsidered that? 
Why not build a world that would be fair and just, and none of those things could take place? You could put guardrails up, and it would be a paradise for us. But God values something more than that, and that is that he's given you a choice. We call it free will. And God said, you know, I've created each one of you for a purpose, and I didn't want to create the world with all those guardrails up. I want to create a world that I'll put you in and allow you with your free will to ultimately choose me. And so we have a free will. And look where that's gotten us, right? And so the question has to be, what's your purpose, God? And I think it's important once again to note that God, our God, is a God who desires individual relationships. His focus is to redeem and transform man one by one. And that's why he sent his son. He created you for a purpose. We read early in 1 Timothy where Paul said to Timothy, here is a trustworthy statement. In other words, that's Paul's way of saying, you can etch this in stone. This is a trustworthy statement. Deserving of full acceptance. And that statement is that Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? To abolish slavery to get rid of the Romans, to set up the kingdom of God in that day, to get rid of all injustices, to take care of all diseases, to reestablish paradise. That's not what it says. The saying is trustworthy and de deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came for you. He came into this world to change your life, to transform you, and part of that transformation then will be him working through you to deal with all those other things. But make no mistake about it, our world's not fair. There are a lot of haves, and to be honest with you, we're a congregation primarily of the haves. And there's a lot of have-nots. We've seen pictures. We think of missions. So Paul is going to address 
Timothy, and he's going to say, the world in which you're living is not fair. And he's going to deal with the ugly concept of slavery. Probably not something that you stay awake at night and think about. But I will say this, that this world will not be fixed until the king returns. Amen? But he will return. He is coming. And he will fix all things. But in the meantime, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Before we jump into our text, and by the way, I only have two verses, okay? That's good news. But before we jump into our text, there's some things that we need to do to provide context. Because there's differences in regards to our perception of slavery. Biblical slavery, and by the way, the Torah talks a lot about treatments of slaves. But you have to understand that the primary motive of what I would call Hebraic slavery has to do with the economic relief of the servant. Like today, back then, there were several crimes that required restitution as part of the penalty that would come after a conviction. But when the criminal was unable to make the restitution to the victim, there were no jails in that day. And so how could they provide restitution? In those situations, convicted people found themselves as servitudes, as slaves. It was the way that they could pay off their debts to society. But in the scriptures, we're told when we think about slavery that masters were held accountable for the way they treated their slaves. Slaves could actually be freed if they were not treated properly by their masters. Slaves had rights in the home. We know of Eleazar, Abraham's slave. And if Isaac didn't come around, guess who inherited everything? Eleazar, a part of the family. A family member could actually purchase your freedom by simply paying your debt. And we know that slaves were freed as part of a national day of debt forgiveness every seventh year. So I want you to think when we think about the word slavery in the Bible, I want you to understand at least the Hebraic concept of it. We also know that if you enjoined yourself to a family and you became part of that family, that after that seven-year period where you would be released, you had the option of staying and becoming part. 
And to do that, they would take your earlobe to the doorpost of the home, they would pierce it with an awl, and you then became, that was a sign that it was your choice. You could go free, but it's your choice to remain as a part of this family. But those are those words, doulas, and bond servant, and bond slave that we get through the scriptures. But as I mentioned, we're going to go a little bit lower down the well towards the pit because that's not just what happened with slavery. Because we know that after the Israelites were taken captive, we know of different powers, nations that came into existence and ruled the world. We know about the Assyrians, and they were barbaric. When they swept through the land, they didn't have this concept of slavery the same way the Jews did. Tiglath-Pileser, when he conquered, he put the fear of Assyria in the world. They were known primarily for their forms of torture. They would take communities, they would take the leaders, they would break up families, they would put fish hooks through their noses and drag them out. Well, that, that's not the Hebraic form of slavery, is it? And then we end up with what? After Assyria, we have the Babylonians. And by the way, in the midst of all of this, we know that there are heroes for us that were slaves. When the Babylonians came into power, we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, right? And what does he do? He goes in, he's gonna destroy Jerusalem, but he's gonna take a cadre of kids back to Babylon. Now, I know you know some of these names. The first one that should come to mind, Daniel, right? Daniel, and is Daniel a slave? Or is Daniel treated and does he rise in power in Babylon and yet he would be considered a slave? Now, my grandson's in here somewhere. I don't know where he is, but he's got three other boys that he knows the name of. Are you in here, Parker? Can I hear them? What's their names? Where's he at? What's their names? Is it Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Again, who were these guys? They're slaves. And yet in the midst of that culture, they're given freedoms and they rise to power. How about Esther? Remember her? That's the Medo-Persian empire that has slaves. So now we've dealt with not just Hebraic, but we've dealt with different forms of slavery as well. But then we come to the Greeks and ultimately to the time period that Paul is writing to Timothy, we come to the Romans. And the big difference between slavery 
in Hebraic terms and all other forms is that slaves were taken so that their masters would have a better life. That's the switch. Not in order to pay off servitude and have freedom and equality, but now slavery is I own you for my own personal gain. That's the switch. People were then taken into captivity and slavery against their will. Some were just conquered by nations, others kidnapped. Some were born into captivity from parents that were enslaved. This is not the slavery that the Torah talks about. But now as we progress in our world and as we go lower and lower into this well, closer to the bottom, we all know of the 17th and 18th century form of slavery. We know about Africa. We know the inroads it made into our country. We know that even the founders of our declaration did not abolish slavery. And then it even goes deeper to a day in which we're living where we have sex trafficking, child slavery. So what is Paul referring to? So you know, as Paul wrote, during this time in Christianity, slavery was commonplace. I hope you can grasp this. There were some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 50% of the Roman Empire was composed of slaves. 50%. Many were educated. Many were cultured. And they weren't treated as less than human. We know Luke, that should ring a bell. We know Luke was a physician and a doctor, but also a slave. While the Bible never commanded slavery, it does permit it and it does regulate it. As we read the Scriptures, we find that Jesus, Paul, and others in the New Testament do not call for a violent revolution against the institution of slavery. And yet through the transformation of individuals. Why did Jesus come? Did He come to abolish slavery? Or did He come to save sinners? Jesus came to restore your relationship with the Father. Jesus came to say, this is the kingdom of God. Jesus came to say, walk in this way. And in so doing that, ultimately, guess what happens? Through the transformation of individual lives, slavery is abolished. 
before I get to the text, this is uh, an aside. On July 3rd, my wonderful wife said to me, we're going to go see a movie. And I know when my wife is adamant about something, and when my wife is adamant about something, I'm going to outlove her, right? That's the war that you can have in scriptures. Husbands and wives outdo one another in love and showing honor. So I'm going to battle her. I'm saying, absolutely, we're going to go see this movie. What movie are we going to see? And I'm thinking, because we had just seen Indiana Jones, which I'm not giving a major thumbs up to, but anyhow, I'm thinking, oh, we haven't been to a movie in a long time. What are we going to go see? And she says, we're going to go see The Sound of Freedom. And I said, I got no idea what that's about. Okay, let's go. So on the 4th of July, where everybody's going to the parade, I'm thinking we're going to go to Hayden Cinema, and there ain't going to be anybody there, right? And so when we get to Hayden Cinema on the 4th of July, guess what? Sold out. And so we live in Riverstone, and I said, well, let's just go to the Riverstone ones. We get there, and guess what? Sold out. So then I say, Spokane Valley. We got a free day. Let's go see it there. Guess what? Sold out. So all of a sudden, me knowing nothing about this, I started thinking, what am I, what, what, what's happening here? And then, as adamant as she was to want to see it on the 4th of July, we didn't. We saw it on the 5th of July. And I have to tell you, my world was shaken. And as I sat through this movie, at the very end, as I'm watching the credits and encouraged to stay for a final message, I felt that the Holy Spirit said, Dan, you need to do your best to encourage whoever you know to see this movie. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to be obedient to that. How many of you have seen the movie? Okay, so with hands up, people around you, you might want to ask them what their thoughts were about this. It has to do with slavery, kidnapping. And we would like to think, oh, not in our world, not here in the good old U.S. of A., right? This is an epidemic of major proportions that's taking place in our day. And even though I'm encouraging you to see the movie, that should not be the end all. It's not like pay it forward and get somebody else to see it. I'm praying that God plants seeds in our hearts because it's an issue of our day. And I was talking to Angela, and I know there are people in our congregation that have way more experience with this subject than I do. And I'm going to encourage you to talk to her because once again, we're at the bottom of the well here. And the question is, is that what would Jesus have us to do?
It's a question we have to ask. And once again, we're, not in, we're in a world of haves and have-nots. We're in a world where we scream, why, God, why? And I believe that God does respond to that question of why, God, why? And you know what his words are? Why, man, why? And if your life, if Jesus has come to save you and to transform your life, he doesn't do it so that you can live necessarily, you will, happily ever after. He's not your genie in a bottle that's going to make your life happy. But he's going to want to use you to help fix broken things because that that's how he works. He's going to transform your life. He's going to say, you come follow me. And then he's going to give you passions in your life that the expectations are is that we follow. Amen? Well, I think it's about time we get to the text. So, um, let's open our Bibles and we're going to take a look at what Paul is going to say to Timothy regarding the slaves, the bond servants in Ephesus. And he says this in verse 1, let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. In other translations, it will say, so that the name of God may not be blasphemed, or that the name of God would not be discredited. Timothy, let all those that are under the yoke as bond servants, over half the people in that congregation, over half the people would be in that situation. Let these people know that their masters are worthy of all honor. Wait, that's not fair. But why? so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Remember who you represent. People, people will judge Christianity, the name of God, and what the Bible teaches, his doctrine, based on how you and I, believers, conduct ourselves as workers. Each believer, and you've heard this, but I think it needs to be said. Each believer should ask if they're leading people to Jesus by how they work 
or if they're leading people away from Jesus by their bad work and their testimony at their jobs. Again, when Jesus Christ came into the world, he came to save sinners, not to abolish slavery. He came to transform the world, but he'll do it through individuals. So when we receive Jesus and we say, I've decided to follow him, listen carefully. Our rights and our fairness or what we think is fair needs to be thrown out the window. Paul again writes, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Believers, Christians, you're not your own. You were purchased, you were bought with a price. And so live a life worthy of that calling. You're not your own. You were purchased. He's transformed your life for a reason. Well, then he goes on and he says, okay, let's say you have an, un in your estimation, you have an unbeliever that's your master. I want you to serve him and honor him because he knows you're a believer and how you work is going to be your testimony and what he's going to think about your God. And so you better work in such a way that you're representing him well. And then he says, now some of you have believers as your masters. How then ought you to behave towards them? And he says, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Disrespect. We can imagine a slave, a bondservant, saying, my master is my brother. We are equal before the Lord. He has no right to tell me what to do. This attitude ignores the fact that God calls us into many relationships. And need I say again, God's not fair. God calls us into many relationships where submission is commanded. In the home, in the church, and in the workplace. Our equality in Jesus does not eliminate God's order of authority. And so, as he's speaking to these slaves, he's being very practical. And many 
teachers today because we don't live here in northern Idaho under the bonds of slavery. Many times we sandpaper this down, make it a little smoother, and we say we should interpret this as employee-employer relationships. And I actually think there's merit to that. And, and what I want to leave with you today is the importance of our walk, the importance of who we represent, the importance of our testimony. I think what Paul is saying is that how we represent the name of God is vital. And, and I want to share with you three quick things that I think the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives here and now. And nobody gets an A plus. No perfection here. We're going to do pass-fail, okay? So what is it that God wants to raise up in his people to make a difference in this culture, society, and world that we live in. Number one, he wants his people to be authentic. Not fake, all in, pure. Can we be perfected in that? No. But should it be our desire? to walk closer to Jesus every day and represent him, authentic believers. And then I think he wants us to be passionate about who he is and who we are and what his mission through us is. Passion. That's a word that we don't usually want to associate with Christianity. We should, but we don't like the word well, you're kind of fanatical, okay? I don't want to be a fanatic. And yet, if you're a sports person, you got a jersey somewhere, let me tell you, you're fanatical about whatever your team might be. How fanatical are you about Jesus? Oh, we've got phrases that we use. Is it really all about Jesus for you? And then, I know you've heard this before, but if Christianity was a contagious disease, the people that come in contact with you, would they catch it? Are you that passionate about Jesus and who he is and what he's about? And then finally, integrity. We do the right thing, even when nobody's watching. The word and the deed become one. I'm going to have the worship group come up, and I've got two stories that I'll leave you with. The first dates me. I'll say it. It's a movie that's about 50 years old. And, and do you know, you know what branding's like, Right? When you brand something, it doesn't go away. It's there. I, I almost feel like there's this scene in this movie that's branded me, 
and it's seared into me, and I can't get it out of my mind, even though it's probably been 50 years ago. And the story is this. It takes place in France. There's two guys, very popular in their city, very rich and wealthy because of their parents. This is the time of the Crusades, and they go off to make their fame and fortune. And one guy goes off, and on his way, and it's all regal, pomp, and circumstance. You can see it. The city's out. It's the ticker tape parade as they're leaving. But something happens to this one guy. His name's Francis. You probably know him as St. Francis of Assisi. And Francis has an encounter with God, falls off his horse, meets a leper, and God changes his heart. He comes back to the town disgraced. He shaves his head. He puts on burlap. He goes out in the middle of nowhere to an abbey that's been broken down, and he begins a ministry to the poor, the wretched. The other guy was his best friend. His name's Bernardo. And Bernardo goes to the Crusades, is victorious, but he's got a question in his mind, and he's saying, where is Francis? And he comes back, and all of his friends say, you don't want to even go there. You don't want to go there. And Bernardo, ticker tape parade, key to the city, he says, I've got to see Francis. And so they take him out, and here's the scene. It's snowing, you got burlap, you got Francis with the monk haircut out there, and he's got this cornerstone that he's looking at, and Bernardo's looking at all of this saying, what's happened? What's happened? And he's heard everything, and God touches Bernardo's heart, and he says to Francis, I want to help. I want to help. What can I do? And Francis looks up at him, snow falling. I told you, seared my mind, right? And he looks at Bernardo, and he says, words, Bernardo, words. There was a day that I used to believe in words. Next scene. Guess who's got burlap on? Guess who's got a monk haircut? Guess who's out in the middle of giving everything up and serving? Bernardo. Words, Bernardo, words. You want to help? Where are your actions? Testimony. The last one I'll share with you, we go to Israel a lot, you know that. We have one trip that we do that's a service trip. Many people want to go to Israel and they want to witness to Jews. You know, what greater victory than to share Jesus with somebody that's Jewish and you've convinced them that he's the Messiah, right? Good luck with that, okay? They've heard all the arguments whatsoever. You're probably not going to get too far with that. But I'll tell you what makes a difference. We do a work trip, 
We've been on IDF bases, and we work with Holocaust survivors. Fifteen of us will move in, and, and I'm an expert on pulling weeds. That's about all I can do. I'm okay on painting, okay? But we got a crew that comes in, and we look for areas that we can serve. And as we've come into different places, we'll come in, there's a Holocaust survivor's home, and we're going to paint it, and we do work. We don't say a thing. We just come in and serve. And I can tell you what happens. Day one, there's an interest in the community. Who are you guys? And all of a sudden, it's hot in Israel. They're coming out with water. Day two, we're still working. Now it's not just water, now there's fruit that's available. And then comes the question, who are you and what are you doing? And I'm sure pretty soon it's going to be, and can you do what you're doing in our place as well? But the bottom line is that when you're asked is your opportunity then to tell. But until you're asked, it's words, right? Words, Bernardo, words. But it's through your actions. It's through your service. For Paul, he's saying it's how you treat your masters, how you represent the name. And Christians, believers, we have a world out there that doesn't need more words. We need actions to proclaim His name, to represent the name of God, and to walk out all of our talk. Now, I'm going to leave you with this. Next Sunday, we're in the park. If you have friends, if you have family, if you have people at work who are not believers, I pray that you've lived a life that would allow you to say, why don't you come check out and learn about Jesus? This is our opportunity to have church outside of the walls, right? To be out in our community, transparent, transformed and sharing who Jesus is. Let's pray. Jesus, in this day, in this moment, at this time, we would pray that we would be known as your followers by our actions and not just our words. Jesus, we continue to pray for a real revival in our city. We pray that we could be a blessing in our city. And we pray that you would take this next week and give us opportunities to invite people out with the express purpose that they would be exposed to the gospel. And we pray these things in your name. Amen and amen.